This is episode 184 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are Box Breathing, The Military Secret to Managing Stressful Situations, and 10 Professions to Learn From to Survive the End of the World. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, welcome back to another week of podcasts from the Prepper Website Podcast. And I uh, want to start off by just reminding you that uh, we, we're, we're shooting to have a meetup this next Saturday. So it's uh, Saturday, November the 11th at 9 a.m. In, uh, in the Houston area. So if you're in the Houston area and you're interested, I think there's about three or four of us that are going to get together and uh, you know just uh, have some breakfast and have some coffee and just kind of talk about preparedness. If you're interested in that, just give, send me an email. I have my email address all over the websites uh, at Prepper Website and then also the Prepper Website Podcast. And So feel free to come over and uh, you know drop me a line. Or hit me up on one of uh, the social medias, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and let me know that you're interested, and I'll send you the address. And uh, you know, come be a part of that. It's just good to be able to get to get together with other people. So I wanted to drop that uh, before before we started with the the weekly uh, the week's worth of podcasts. Hey, uh, wanted to, over on the on the Facebook group, Barbara uh, Barbara. <laughs> I talked about it before, though. I'll just call them barbarisms. She dropped some. Um, you know, little bits of information, little bits of wisdom, and uh, so I just kind of wanted to open up with that uh, this week as uh, we get started. She said, recently one of our folks had the guts to face his economic situation squarely. I personally am readying for a drastic change in my life situation. I know it is coming any day now. That's the reality. All around us, people are struggling with life. Never mind the many calamities. Are you really prioritizing prioritizing your life so that your loved ones will not be picking up the pieces if there is a life-changing event. I'm not referring to SHTF, just life. Today there was a horrific church shooting which changed lives momentarily. Some of those families will deal not only with death but possibly the economic crash of their family. Have you done your homework on estate planning? Do you know your state laws regarding final arrangements? Serious subjects not so much fun as stock as stocking up your bob, but absolutely necessary. Don't wait. Get your finances, estate, in order. Thankfully, I'm not ignorant of our business, and my DH has been arranging neighbor support. That is, neighbor or men for me in case something happens. I have a notebook of contacts for everything from towing to a gunsmith. Are you ready? Just in case. Just some thoughts to ponder. So, uh, you know, good information there, uh, or good ideas there. It's better that I should say that. Uh, from Barbara, little uh, tidbits there to uh, to get us thinking. You know, uh, a lot of the times we prepare for the big things, or we prepare for uh, you know SHTF, you know the EMP, the bigger things like that. But you know, life happens every single day. You know, EMP it, you know has never really happened. You know, where people have been affected, like you know we talk about it in preparedness. But every single day, people die. Every single day. People have to, uh, you know, spouses have to deal with the loss of a, of, a, of a spouse and how they're going to hold the family together, not only emotionally, but financially. And that's a big thing to consider. 
and that's over at the Facebook group. Uh, Barbara drops a lot of those uh, from time to time. Well, not a lot, but she drops she drops those from time to time. Uh, you know, good little bits of information. But she did bring up, uh, you know, the the, the church shooting. And uh, so I got home today from church, and um, I first saw it, you know, on a post that kind of came up, and I'm like, well, I don't see it anywhere else. And uh, then I started seeing it all over the place, uh, the church shooting that happened uh, here in Texas and uh, just a tragic, tragic event uh, that's going on. There's just there's so much stuff out there. I think there's 26 people dead and 20 injured. Um, you know, even the pastor's daughter was was killed. There's a two year old was killed, murdered. Uh, there's a five year old. I think he's kind of fighting for his life. He's in surgery. And then I mean, the, all the, the age ranges are is just crazy. To think about something like that, and being a pastor—that's something that I think about on a regular basis, uh, you know. Uh, but I, I think about it on a regular basis when things like this come up, and then also when I'm not in the midst of, you know, in in the church work, because there's uh, there's a lot of things going on. I mean, I wake up early on Sunday morning to, you know, to get uh, geared up and, and to pray and to, to be ready for uh, to be ready for the, the service. Uh, right now, you know, I'm, I'm, uh, we've lost some of our band members. You know, we had some young people that went off to college, and uh, different things like that. So I am playing to kind of help keep consistent, uh, you know, a g- guitar in into the the mix. And so, you know, I'm I'm thinking about my guitar. I'm thinking about having that prepared and being ready to play and knowing the music and then making sure that I have the message ready and uh, all the other things that go into play. You're not really thinking about, hey. You know, or you're not really thinking that you have to be thinking about, uh, you know, defending, you know, church members or defending that someone would walk into your church and start shooting up the place. Uh, and uh, yeah, that's that's something, though, that we really need to start thinking about. So if you are someone who is, uh, if you're a Christian and you go to church, uh, this might be one of the things you might want to start talking about with your uh, with a pastor and bringing it up, this is the time to bring it up because this is fresh on everybody's mind, and that goes to show you that it's not just going to happen in you know a big church or anything like that. It can happen in a small church. I think they said I was reading one report that there's like 400 people in this community, and so you know that not all those people are in that church. So you're not talking about a very big church here. And uh, so the fact that, that this would happen in a church like that, we don't know all the, the, the reasons why. We don't know if he targeted this specifically. We don't know that, uh, you know, there's some uh, reports out there about his LinkedIn page has, uh, you know, has a picture or has something about, uh, that, you know, he he's, has done Bible studies before. Uh, we know that he was uh, dishonorably discharged from the military. And uh, I've been seeing, I'm not an expert on this, but I've been seeing people say that it was, it's a felony, being dishonorably discharged from the military, it's a felony to be in possession of, uh, you know, of a rifle, like uh, like he was. And so, you know, when people start talking about it, because all of a sudden, you're already starting to hear people. I mean, the, the thing didn't happen two or three hours into it, and people are already talking about gun control. And, you know, oh, this wouldn't happen if it was, you know, if gun control was, was in play. This guy wasn't supposed to be, have a, a firearm, and he did, you know. So how is that going to, to stop all that? And so, man, that's the big old debate, and that's just idiotic there. And, of course, people are going to use it for their own, uh, you know, politicians are going to use it for their own causes and, and to, to push their own agendas. But, uh, you know, one of, one of the things that we, we really need to be thinking about is, you know, where, where we are, 
where are we at in this whole situation? So if you are uh, a church member, this is something that you might want to talk about uh, with your pastor and say, hey, you know, what do we have? Uh, in the, you might be surprised. They already might have a security team uh, going on. They already might have people that are prepared and uh, ready and just in case uh, a church shooting happens, you know. Uh, it looks like from what I'm from what I'm uh, reading that uh, there was church members who engaged him, and then someone uh, from the community did shoot him uh, with their own rifle, and uh, he drove away about five miles away, and then he wound up, uh, uh, I guess, crashing because of his wounds. I mean, I guess there, there's still a lot of information out there, uh, but anyway, I was getting to the point that. Uh, you know, some people there. Some people are, you know, were saying that he's, you know, dishonorably discharged, all that kind of stuff. Some people were saying he's Antifa, and there's an Antifa flag on his Facebook, and all that kind of stuff. I don't know. We're not going to fully know all the answers to it. Um, it's just a very, very tragic event that uh, that happened, and uh, we definitely need to be praying for, uh, you know, the, the that church there and that community. But uh, we also need to be thinking about, you know, how that plays into our preparedness as well. And so if you go to church, you, a lot of the times you don't think about a church uh, where you, you have to be armed up and, and protecting yourself. And it reminded me of a website that I linked to a long, long time ago. And I have it actually on Prepper website. It's in the miscellane, miscellaneous category. So if you scroll down uh, past all the articles... Um, you know, I have a bunch of list of websites, you know, preparedness websites, alternative news, homesteading. I mean, it's all in the different categories. But over in the miscellaneous section, I have a uh, a website. It's it's pretty much just a one page website, but it's called the biblical self defense or biblical self defense dot com. Basically, is what it is. It says, what does the Bible say about self defense? So if you're a Christian and you ever wondered about uh, what the Bible says. Um, it looks like it was a Bible study. Maybe somebody did a Bible study on it, and they just kind of turned it into a to a website. Um, you know, up at the top it says, "What does the Bible say about self-defense? What is the biblical view of using lethal force for self-protection? Can a Christian own a gun? What about gun ownership, assault weapons?" The Bible study below attempts to answer these questions using Scripture. So, uh, you know, a nice little Bible study there. A lot of Scripture. Um, you can uh, the author you know goes into it and gives a little bit of detail why they uh, you know why they they say what they do. I love the way that he ends it, uh, the way that he ends it off. I'm not going to uh, to ruin it for you there, um, but uh, talked a little bit about that in church this morning. And then over on uh, the right hand side there is a, a link that says links of interest. And so when you click on that, uh, it'll open up another page. So there's a couple of pages here. And uh, just, uh, you know, for instance, uh, the Bible and self-defense. So there, I guess there's some articles here that you can uh, check out. Sources for training, political action groups, church security resources. If you want to pass those along maybe to your, to your pastor, to your church leadership. And then uh, it says related information, self-defense guide for senior citizens. So, um, again, I'm going to go ahead and link to that on uh, the show notes. So if you have, uh, if, you know, if you get the show notes with your podcast catcher, you can go ahead and uh, link over to that uh, article, to that Bible study. And then uh, if not, you can co- come over to theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and uh, you can go ahead and click on the link and it'll take you straight over there. Just like I'll link to all the other articles on uh, that we're going to be discussing. So a little long uh, in the introduction here, but a lot of th- crazy things. And there's even more stuff 
that I probably could be talking about things that are going on in the Middle East and things that you know things are going on in Saudi Arabia and stuff like that. Um, you know, I haven't finished watching John Haller's uh, prophecy update where he talks a lot about uh, you know current events and things like that. But uh, I'll be finishing that up, and you might want to go check that out. I'll, uh, I always link to that on edthatmatters.com. I do a, you know, the prophecy update where I just kind of grab all the ones from this weekend and uh, put them all in one post if you're, if, if you're interested in that. But uh, John, John always talks a lot about current events, so uh, that's, a, that's a good one to watch. All right, so let's go ahead and move into our first article. Our first article of the podcast comes to us from thepreppingguide.com. Again, thepreppingguide.com. And the, the title is Box Breathing, The Military Secret to Managing Stressful Situations. So, um, you know, this is one of those beneficial articles and not gear related or anything related as far as, you know, what you can put in your backpack, you know, in your bob or, or you know, EDC or, or, you know, what you can store. But it is something that you might want to practice and uh, help you in stressful situations. So let's go ahead and start reading. Master your breath. Master your mind. Special forces, professionals, law enforcement, and UFC fighters use tactical breathing or box breathing exercises to keep a calm head in situations where adrenaline kicks in and tries to obscure their clarity. In this post, you can learn how to run through your own tactical breathing exercise so that when you are in a stressful situation at work, home, or on the street, you are able to operate effectively. Tactical breathing is a way to combat something called an adrenaline dump. If you are wondering what adrenaline dump actually is, you have probably experienced it several times in your own life. It is when a large dose of adrenaline is released through the body as a response to a stressful event. That stressful event might be a car accident, a physical altercation, a shooting, or a personal emotional occurrence where your fight or flight mode has been triggered. So how do you control that? Easy, you run your body through a short series of breathing exercises designed to calm the body and clear the head. How to do tactical breathing or box breathing exercise. U.S. Army Ranger Lieutenant Colonel David Grossman developed what has come to be referred to as square breathing in his book On Combat, The Psychology and Physiology of Deadly Conflict in War and Peace. Basically, it works like this. Breathe in through your nose, filling up your belly for four seconds. Hold for 4 seconds, exhale through your mouth for 4 seconds, hold for 4 seconds, and repeat times 4. A very good example of this is in the instructional video below, which teaches you exactly how to do the box breathing exercise. So there's a video there that you might want to go check out. How the box breathing exercise will help you. When the body enters a stressful scenario, the body becomes chemically aroused to the point where it can cloud your judgment and often automatically control some of its functions. To diffuse this, we can use breathing exercises such as box breathing to keep a clear, logical head. For instance, in a gunman attack, once we realize that we are involved in what could be deemed to be a lone gunman incident or terrorist attack, our body undergoes several reactions. Before you even realize it, your body has transformed into a heightened state of alertness. As soon as you see something like this, subconsciously, you are under stress. Your body has just released a heap of stored sugars, fats, and your adrenaline levels are through the roof. Your breathing has increased rapidly, your pupils have just dilated, and your sense of smell and hearing has just picked up. On top of that, your muscles have tensed to prepare for action, your blood clotting mechanisms are activated, and you are in survival mode. So now what? 
The next thing you do decides whether you are stunned with fear, start running for your life, or you stay and assist victims or move to attack an aggressor. This is the fight or flight response and a very mental element of survival. For military, law enforcement, and emergency medicine professionals, this is where their training and the use of tactical breathing exercise becomes important to diffuse their own stress indicators before being able to assist in an emergency. To overcome that automatically induced stress, they go through their own stress management systems, including understanding the situation of themselves and what is happening around them by using skills and situational awareness and by automatically running through their stress management systems, the primary and most important being box breathing. For you to practice tactical breathing, it allows you to approach a stressful situation with clear judgment and a logical thinking pattern. And it's not just for when that poop hits the fan. Whenever you feel stress, give tactical breathing a go. You will be surprised how well it works as a form of me meditation and way to relax the body, mind, and heart rate. Use box breathing for meditation and stress relieving during the day. Not only is this a hard stress reliever for military and law enforcement, it is also a strong meditation method and covers the basics of what most breathing meditation exercises consist of. The guy from SEAL Fit Team used that same box breathing exercise they were taught in Navy SEAL training in meditation aspects. When you work on your breathing techniques with meditation and breathing exercises, it can also have a direct effect on performance in the exercise and concentration, think more clearly and quicker, make better decisions while under duress, practice more control over body and mind. For meditation techniques with SEAL breathing exercises, check out the SEAL Fit Team video. If you enjoyed this post, share it with the professionals you know who want to maintain a prepared state of mind. There's a couple of comments here. There's about four comments you might want to check out. Uh, people just uh, people just leaving. Uh, I'm sorry. There's well one uh, article, two article. I'm sorry, two comments. Boy, I can talk today. I'm, I might need to do some box breathing here. I guess uh, two uh, two comments, and then uh, there's some pingbacks there. That's why there's four comments. But I think this is a gr uh, a great article and something to uh, to consider because we all find ourselves in stressful situations no matter what. Even if you are new to preparedness, uh, maybe you're not even new to preparedness. Maybe you just stumbled upon the podcast, and uh, if you have, welcome. But uh, one, one, uh, you know, this might be one of those things where you can start to apply in your lives for any stressful situation. <laughs> just driving sometimes in Houston traffic. I'll tell you, uh, this last week I uh, had to go to a conference uh, downtown and. Uh, I'm very blessed to that I can work. Uh, I live and work very close, uh, you know, to each other, and so I am only on the road for a small amount of time. But going downtown was crazy, man, and you know, it was like 40, 50 minutes uh, just to get to where I needed to go, and you know, people are driving crazy. I realized at one point I was just kind of going along with the traffic, and uh, I realized I was going 50, 60 miles an hour. And we were still kind of almost bumper to bumper. I'm like, yeah, this is not safe. Uh, you know, I just had to back up, uh, back off the, the, the cars. But everybody was driving like that. It's just, it's crazy. And then in a place like Houston, for no reason, I mean, you have traffic. And then for no reason, uh, it just opens up, right? I mean, there's no car wreck. There's no nothing. It just opens up. It's absolutely nuts. And so I can see where people get, you know, lose it on the roads. And, uh, you know, I can, I can see that. So you might need to try it there, but 
uh, this might be something that you want to try on a regular basis and uh, you know go through that that uh, box breathing from time to time and to help uh, to, to you know bring that clarity anything that can help you uh, bring your concentration into focus I think it's helpful and so uh, maybe you you find yourself you know in the middle of the day when things are kind of uh, you're kind of getting sluggish maybe after lunch and you're getting a little sluggish maybe you try to try this breathing out a little bit it looks like you do it for about five times uh, holding you know holding your breath again it was well let me just read that part of it again it's breathing through your nose filling up your belly for four seconds holding it for four seconds exhaling your mouth for four seconds or exhaling through your mouth for four seconds and then holding for four seconds so I mean that whole um, you know that whole situation takes 16 seconds and then you're repeating that uh, you know four or five times so you can do all this you know in less than a minute um, you can do this in less than a minute and and make sure that you uh, maybe not not less than a minute maybe less than a minute and a half and make sure that you get um, your uh, you know you can get your your breathing yeah, under control, and then maybe that stress level under control, and then that concentration comes up. Uh, to me, I mean, that's 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 worth it. So, uh, and then and then being able to do that, being able to remind yourself to do this during a, a real real stressful situation, uh, like uh, you talked about, uh, you know, uh, uh, a car accident, a physical altercation, a shooting, uh, you know, something like uh, like happened with, uh, you know, here in Texas uh, today. Um, you know that's you know being able to do that so you can make good decisions so again that's uh, box breathing the military secret to managing stressful situations over at the preppingguide.com alright so uh, our next article comes to us from survivalpedia.com and uh, this article is 10 professions to learn from to survive the end of the world I always think it's helpful to uh, to uh, look at articles like this and just kind of see what people think and uh, there's a, a lot of professions out there we don't even really think about that they could lend uh, helpful advice and, and information to us. So let's read this one. Prepping has always been about the worst case scenario. Maybe that's because these really scary disasters motivate us more or maybe it's just that in prepping or preparing for a true end of the world as we know it event makes us ready for anything else we might encounter. Regardless of the reason, there are enough of these major catastrophes in the world's history to show us that they really can happen. While most people who have lived on the face of this earth haven't had to deal with anything more than a regional natural disaster, some have had to deal with much worse. To the people of Europe who survived World War II, that was a life-changing event. That same can be said for those who lived through the Great Depression or the Black Plague. Real disasters happen. What skills would help you survive? When I was growing up, the biggest risk was faced, we faced was that of thermonuclear war. The Cuban Missile Crisis in 1962 was probably the closest we came to total annihilation back then. I was as glad as anyone when the Berlin Wall came down and the Cold War ended. But we are now in another Cold War and it's looking much more like it's going to turn into a hot war that one, than, than that one ever did. Should that happen, or even worse, turn out to be an EMP attack, we could easily find ourselves living in a post-apocalyptic world, a world in which we're going to have to do everything without the benefit of electric power. In such a case, people will be scrambling to learn the necessary skills to, to survive. But even more than that, they'll have to learn how to do the things necessary to rebuild society. We are too accustomed to our technology and our comforts to just give up on them. 
people will be wanting things the way they are used to or at least as close to that as they can get them. With that in mind, it only makes sense to learn the necessary skills for living in a world without electricity. This doesn't just mean surviving for ourselves, but helping others to survive as well, something that is normally outside of our plans as preppers. I realize that most of us live and operate under the philosophy of taking care of ourselves, our families, and our survival team. If all we're concerned about is survival, that makes sense. But if we want our children to have a better life than that, enjoying some of the benefits we have today, we're going to have to do more than just survive. We're going to have to be ready to rebuild our world and as much of the technology that drives it as we can. That job will probably fall to us rather than to others, simply because we are the ones who are going to survive. So we not only, so we not only should be learning survival skills, but others which will help us to make things work. The Native American Doctor Medicine is going to be one of the biggest problems in a post-apocalyptic world. Hey, I've been saying that over and over again, uh, and I think that's something, again, that uh, you should be talking about uh, on uh, the, conflicted, the conflicted scenario that uh, we talked about last week. Uh, one of the things that was uh, a common comment uh, over at edthatmatters.com was medical, and uh, that's one of the big ones. So um, let me continue on here. While most people would die of starvation, many will also die for lack of medicine. Today's pharmaceutical industry depends on supplies that come from all over. Without transportation, they won't have the materials they need to make the medicines that modern society depends on. Even if they could, without transportation, those medicines wouldn't get to you and me. When the medicines that are locally stocked in hospitals and pharmacies are used up, there will be no more. The only medicines that will exist will be those that nature provides. The doctors of the American Indians, the doctors of the American Indians knew those medicines and some still use them. If you can find one of them and learn their craft, you'll have one of the most useful skills that exist. Even if you can't find a Native American doctor, you can still learn about their medicine. There is a growing movement of people who believe in herbal medicine, which is based to a large part on the same roots as the Native American doctor's medicine. While you probably wouldn't learn everything that a Native American doctor could teach you, you'll end up a whole lot better off with a whole lot more information than what you have now. So again, I have to second the uh, the aspect of herbal or herbal medicine and, and use of essential oils and, and those things uh, along those lines. Next one is chemist or a pharmacist. Pharmacists are actually trained for much more than just counting out pills. They are highly trained chemists. More than doctors, they know how different medicines interact and how they react once in our body. Some pharmacists even know how to make medicines. That's what you're looking for, a pharmacist who can show you how to make your own penicillin, either in, or uh, ether in uh, chloroform, will be giving you information that can save lives. In addition to medical chemistry, there are probably other things you can learn from these people, such as how to make biofuel and other useful chemical substances. A midwife. Everyone knows what the world's oldest profession is, but I've never heard agreement on what the second and third oldest are. Personally, I think that the midwife has to be pretty high on that list, as the oldest would necessitate, necessitate midwifery. So even if something like farming or shepherding would beat it out, Abel was a shepherd and Cain a farmer, midwives have been around for a long, long time. As long as babies are being born, there will be a need for midwives. This will be especially true in times when there aren't enough doctors to help women through childbirth. In a post-apocalyptic world, there's much greater possibility of a woman using, mid using midwives than doctors. Uh, and I have to agree, you know, recently Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy had a couple of uh, 
uh, podcast episodes where they talked about child uh, birth. And, you know, it's one of the things to consider because people are going to continue, you know, babies are going to continue to be born. And, uh, you know, do you know how to deliver a baby? Do you know how what needs to be done? Now, people have been doing it throughout all of history. And uh, some a lot of them, you know, didn't have midwives and things like that. Um, they were able to get by, but a lot of those skills and, and that know-how is just, it's lost uh, because we just, we all go to the hospital and have our babies there, at least most of, m- most people do. And, um, and so that information is, is lost. And even if we, we don't, a lot of the times people give birth at home, there's a midwife that comes in and the, you know, the, the family doesn't have that information or people don't have the information on, on, on what you need to do. So, uh, you might want to go over to uh, Dr. Bones and Nurse Amy's podcast and go check out that those episodes. It was a couple episodes back, but uh, I thought that they were good and useful to, to uh, listen to um, in, in regards to that information. Uh, next is an Amish farmer. Modern farming has been industrialized with massive corporate farms and lots of expensive equipment. Even smaller farms depend heavily on equipment with the tractor long ago having replaced the horse or oxen. But the Amish never made the transition. Today's Amish farmers largely do things the way their ancestors did them, still using horses as their main source of power on the farm. This gives them an incredible advantage over the rest of us who don't have the slightest idea of how to do things without gas engines and electric power. Should we find ourselves on the receiving end of an EMP, the Amish will be less affected by it than any other group of people in our country. That's basically because they don't depend on electricity or the modern electronics that the rest of us use. Their communities will thrive while the rest of the country is dying. Spending time with one of these farmers and learning the methods and tools they use would prepare you to be able to feed your family and many more once the brown stuff hits the rotary air movement device. Um, Okay, so a couple of different things here. I, I agree that if every you know everybody every community just kind of left each other alone that the Amish would thrive. The problem is is that that's not what's going to happen. If there was a real poop hits the fan scenario, everyone knows that these Amish because I mean they, they you know they travel into town and they're in their horses and buggies and things like that. People are going to go out to their farms. They're going to find their way out there because they're going to know that they are capable of living like that. Uh, and um, I can't remember if they, uh, you know, if they uh, defend themselves or not, and so uh, I don't believe they do. Maybe somebody can correct me on that. I, I believe they're nonviolent, and so, uh, or you know, they believe in that, and so uh, I don't believe that they would have firearms, and so they would easily, easily be run over. So those communities would not, I don't believe, would thrive. I believe uh, uh, eventually they would be overrun and people would go and, and take what they can from them and, uh, and then you know, go from there. Uh, I do believe that their information is very, very valuable. I also wanted to say that I've read, because I don't have experience with them, uh, that they are very, uh, they're a very close community. So if you wanted to go learn from them, uh, I don't know if that would be something that would be possible if you would be able to go into their uh, into their society, into their tribe, I guess, if you want to call it that, and uh, just to be able to go hang hang with them. If if you could, I think that would be great. Uh, you know, it would be great to be able to have some interns. You know, like hey, we're, but you got to come and you got to live like we do. You can't have you know any of your electronics. This is the way it's going to be. Uh, I think that would be very fascinating. Now, if you're interested in something like this, uh, Michael Bunker, he's here in Texas. 
he lives in, in West Texas. He has a book called Surviving Off Off Grid. And uh, that might be something. He lives uh, very similar to the Amish. Uh, I believe they call themselves plain people. And uh, live very, very uh, similar to that. And he's got a Facebook page. He writes a lot. Uh, he used to do a lot in preparedness lately. He's been doing a lot of fictional uh, but they live uh, this in the same way here that the Amish do. Um, he he gets online. He, he's not against electronics though, but he gets online uh, to you know to help promote his books and different things like that, and to write uh, and and those kinds of things. But anyway, he uh, interesting stuff over there. So uh, from time to time, he'll put out something preparedness related, and uh, I, I think it's always good. I wish he would have. He uh, he changed his website a while back and. Uh, it had a lot of preparedness information on there. I wish he would have kept it. Or at least I hope he did download uh, a hard copy of it. But uh, I'm going to link to that book, Surviving Off Off Grid. Um, it is, you know, it, it does, uh, uh, you know, talk a lot about faith and, and things like that. And there's scriptures in there, uh, you know. So uh, just FYI on that one. But I'll link to it so you can go check that out. Um, I can't link to. So um, I got dinged by. Uh, by Amazon, so I guess I'm just going to go ahead and talk here, right? Um, I got dinged by Amazon because of my uh, email that goes out, and they were like, hey, uh, you know, you have a certain amount of days to reply to this. Uh, we're getting traffic from, you know, something like an email list or something that's not, uh, you know, web-based. And so um, I realized, I, I guess I never it never occurred to me that when I linked to an Amazon product on my on Prepper website that when the links went out because I would send out an email that goes directly to those links and so it would go in your email right uh, that it was uh, also pointing to Amazon and uh, that was uh, a big uh, a big no-no and I didn't re didn't realize that so I fixed that and I let the email list know that I wasn't able to, to send the direct links anymore uh, and so, uh, you know, I, I do send out the links, but they still have to come to Prepper website and then link from there. Uh, and uh, so I can't link to, so in the show notes, if you go to the show notes, you're not going to see the link to Surviving Off Off Grid. I can't link to Amazon that way, but it'll be at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com. And again, I, I thank you for, uh, you know, for anyone who does uh, purchase am, you know Amazon items from our links. That's always a blessing to us. All right, let me uh, continue on here. Uh, rancher, ranching and farming aren't the same thing. Throughout the time of the Old West, these two groups of people fought for the use of the land. That's because the best farmland was also the best land for raising cattle, or should I say, the best ranch land was often the best land for farming. Of all the animals that mankind has domesticated through the years, cattle gives us the most meat per animal. Another way of putting that is that cattle gives us the most meat for effort expended. That makes them the perfect sort of animal to raise for meat, assuming you've got enough land to raise them. Um, so I don't know. I, I guess if I'm reading it correctly, another way of putting that is that cattle gives us the most meat for effort expended. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if I totally agree with that. Um, I've read before in the past where rabbits. If you had a buck and two does and you bred them optimally, you could you could have more meat in a year than than uh, a cow would give you or a kid you know that you would get from from beef, uh, and so you would have to breed them optimally and and those kinds of things. Um, and maybe when he's saying effort exp expended, he's saying okay, so they're out, 
they're grazing out in the pasture and you're not really having to deal with them with rabbits. You're having to kind of manage it, manage it you know, every so often and feed them and, and those kinds of things. So I don't know, maybe maybe that. But, the, you know, a ra- rabbits are uh, are something that you can keep even in a suburban, uh, suburban uh, backyard. You can keep rabbits. And uh, no one would would even realize that they were there back there if you uh, if you wanted to do that. All right. Uh, next thing is a snake eater. In the military, all special action groups are collectively known as snake eaters. It doesn't matter if you're talking about the Navy SEALs, the Army's special forces, or any other group. They all fall into the same general category. Snake eaters are the best of the best. In the in the Army, special forces is not only the group that is called upon for unconventional warfare like guerrilla warfare, but they are the ones who are sent to other countries in order to train their militaries. In fact, special forces got their start that way, first as the Jedburg teams in World War II and then as advisors in Greece and elsewhere. Many people think of these snake eaters as expert survivalists, but that depends largely upon the environment you are talking of. They aren't experts in the sense that you and I are trying to be, but rather in surviving any combat action. Their superior training makes them the best soldiers to have on your side should things become violent. Spending time with any snake eaters, learning their combat skills, will greatly increase your chances of not falling prey to the two-legged predators that will be out in force after a disaster strikes. A hunting guide. Hunting may not be the most efficient way of finding food after a collapse, but it may still be a very necessary part of our survival. But what most people consider hunting today is sitting in a deer blind waiting for deer to start munching on the seed corn they put out. While this may be an efficient way of hunting, it's highly dependent on having the right equipment at and the right place. I don't think that's something that any of us can count on in a post-apocalyptic world. Rather, we're going to have to go hunting the old-fashioned way, tracking animals, learning their habits, and then laying wait for one alongside a trail. Skills like that aren't something you can learn from just any hunter as they probably don't know them either. Rather, you're going to need someone who started hunting before people use corn and deer blinds to hunt. That's why I recommend a hunting guide. Rather than just any hunter, they're more likely to know the skills you need. A blacksmith. If you've ever read any of my other post-apocalyptic articles, you know that I believe strongly in the profession of blacksmithing. Before the dawn of the industrial age, the blacksmith made just about anything that could be made out of metal. From armor and weapons to shoeing farmers' horses, the blacksmith was the man to see. There are few blacksmiths in the world today, mostly because modern industry has replaced them. But when industry is taken away, then what? Who will be able to make the tools and other things that we need? It will have to be blacksmiths or someone with very similar skills. My father learned how to be a blacksmith once he retired, apprenticing with a lifelong blacksmith who was a true artist of the trade. Unfortunately, I only learned a little of it from him and don't have a forge and anvil to practice on. If I could find one around where I'd live, I'd love to spend some time in his shop learning what I could. A Mr. Fix-It You probably know someone who can fix just about anything. A Mr. Fix-It or perhaps a Mrs. Fix-It. These are some of the world's most useful people and will probably be the true leaders of rebuilding society after a major disaster. What makes these people so special is that they aren't limited to just one trade like many people are. Rather, they're comfortable with any number of trades and even with fixing things that don't fall within any particular trade. Whatever you need designed, built, or repaired, they can find a way to do it, often a rather imaginative way. I consider myself to be one of these people. Earlier in my career, I was, I was a manufacturing engineer. Rather than just working in one engineering discipline, 
This forced me to do both mechanical and electrical engineering. I also took the time to learn how to be a machinist, a mechanic, and made many of my own prototypes. On the side, I had a small construction company along with a buddy of mine. So I've learned how to do a wide variety of things, becoming what we used to call a jack-of-all-trades. Today, I build a lot of my own survival gear. You can find countless examples of my work around my house. My garage hasn't had a car in it since I painted one of them. Rather than being a garage, it's actually my workshop. I fig figure that that will serve me well in a post-apocalyptic world. And then the old survivalist. Survivalism has changed since I got started in my youth. Back then, we weren't so focused on equipment as methods. This, there just wasn't that much equipment available, at least not compared to what we have available to us today. So you had to know how to do things yourself rather than depending on having some sort of gadget to do it for you. What this means is that those old survivalists were often trained much better than we are today, simply because they had to be. So there's a fountain of useful information if you can find them and get them talking. Fortunately, most of us are willing to share what they know. Fortunately, most are willing to share what they know. So the real problem is finding them. All right. So um, there's a couple of articles. Uh, I keep saying articles. A couple of comments here. Uh, and some of the comments were, hey, what about a, uh, a pastor, a minister, a chaplain? And, uh, you know, uh, I have thought about that before in the past, and I have actually, you know, that's that's one thing that uh, for for myself that you know would kick into gear. Uh, I always I always thought about that. I always you know uh, knew that that would be part of uh, the role that I would play. But there's many of you out there uh, who maybe you know you're not a minister and you uh, uh, but you go to church and you might take that role in your family or in your group. Uh, you know, in the tribe, in your community, if there wasn't a minister available, uh, you, you might play that role. And so uh, I, I think that that's something to, uh, to consider. So uh, having a, a, a good Bible, uh, knowing how to uh, read God's Bible and uh, being able to, uh, you know, uh, let the Holy Spirit minister to you to be able to uh, share messages and sermons and, and hear from God. I think that that would be very, very valuable there uh, uh, to to the community because you know, they're going to, you know, uh, I've said this before. You don't stop being a Christian when the poop hits the fan. Uh, so many times, I, I it reads like people who are Christians, people who who uh, you know the poop hits the fan, and all of a sudden they become you know Rambo and their Christianity goes out the door. But that doesn't happen when you are uh, when you're a Christian and the poop hits the fan. Uh, you're just you're you're still a Christian no matter what. Uh, and you go you just you're just going into a new uh, a new situation. So uh, that's something to consider there. But uh, a lot of good ideas um, here and things to things to consider and skills to build. And it might be one of those things that uh, you start to look at. You know what skills do I have? What skills do I have to offer? And what skills would I like to learn? Again, going back to the conflicted uh, the conflicted scenario that we did last week. Um, you know what? What would you? You know what skill would you want to have? And maybe you start doing some of them. Maybe you start taking some evening classes at a local community college. You maybe you start taking some EM, EMT. You know uh, training. Uh, you know, we have that. You know we have that here very you know, in our local community college. So you can do that. So you can be an ambulance. Uh, I mean you know an, an ambulance uh, medic, right? But you wouldn't be going into that line of work. You're just doing it for the the, the knowledge, and maybe you want to do it for that line of work. I mean, I don't know what they get paid, but uh, you might you, know, you might want to consider that. 
but you might want to be doing it for the uh, just for the skill. You might want to go take some welding classes, right? Uh, you might want to go take you know uh, some mechanic classes, uh, you know something fun uh, to to do. You, you might consider it fun, so you can start uh, you know doing having some some of those types of skills. Maybe just uh, you know in construction and, and different things like that. And then I will tell you that one of the things that has helped me out greatly in the past when I've tried to fix things and and work things work on things is just YouTube. It is amazing what you could find on YouTube and the um, the, uh, the the amount of, of video that is being uploaded. I heard a statistic this uh, this last week, and uh, I want to say something like 25 hours of video is being uploaded every minute to YouTube. Uh, that I might be off just a little bit, but it was something crazy. It was like something crazy like that. There's just so many videos, and a lot of it's crap. A lot of it's stuff that people are just you know putting putting up, and they're just talking and junk. But a lot of it is helpful information, educational things. Uh, you can fix your garbage disposal. I mean, I've done articles on that where I've done my garbage disposal, just you know, looking at a video on YouTube. I fixed my wife's tablet where they say that you know you're not supposed to change out batteries and things like that. But I was able to change out uh, you know her battery on her tablet. Uh, and uh, you know, there's just so many other things that I've been able to do just uh, just by looking at YouTube and, and uh, seeing it. So uh, really, really great resource there. So whenever you think of something, you can always think about going over to YouTube and, uh, and seeing that, but uh, thinking about those skills that you would want to have. And uh, you know, if, if there was a, a post-apocalyptic world, but then also skills that might be useful just now, you know? Um, now well, I was going to go to another, another way of thinking, but uh, I'll save that for another, another podcast. Because uh, we're getting kind of long here, and uh, we're going to go ahead and end it, guys. Keep um, the the church in Texas in your in your prayers and, and uh, the families and um, you know the, the, the you know, those that are still in the hospital and they are you know in in critical condition and they're having surgeries. Like I said, I, the last time I, I I read something that five year old boy was uh, was in surgery. He was shot four times and he was in surgery and uh, you know. Uh, keep our nation in uh, in in your prayers, and I know that there's a lot of other people from all over the world that are listening to this podcast, and and uh, you know pray for your leaders, pray that you know that uh, you know that they make good decisions, and uh, that uh, their decisions are for uh, the good of the people, and not for their own good, and not for them staying in power, which so many seem to do, uh, which is which is just crazy but uh, we're living in crazy times and that's why we prepare and that's why we um, we do the things that we do and uh, you might be new you might be new here to the prepper website podcast because you see all the craziness that's going on and if you are here and you're new welcome we wish that you would stay and become a part of this podcast and part of the community we like to, to uh, invite anyone who's listening who's not part of the Facebook group to come over to um, the, the Facebook group on, uh, or the Prepper Website Facebook group. You can link to it from the Prepper Website podcast, or you could go straight to amoreselfrelientlife.com, and it'll get you straight over there. And uh, just ask the, to join, click the join button, and uh, you know, we'll get you in there, and you can be a part of that community. Um, if you get a chance, come over to episode 184 and drop me a line in the comment section or hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Always love to hear from you. And with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. 
Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.